Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Booth 61. Featuring movers and shakers on the Atlanta tech scene, organizations serving the tech market, and the inspired people who lead them. Now here's your host, Ricky Steele. Welcome and thank you for visiting Booth 61. I am Ricky Steele, and I passionately serve as the Chief Development Officer for Hunter Technical Resources, Atlanta's premier IT staffing firm. We have a very exciting show for you today, and we're going to jump right into it. But first, I want to take a half a moment to introduce uh, my producer and, and a guy that's become a good friend, Mr. Kevin Finn, who's really not only a master at the control board, but he's actually an accomplished host and, and actually hosts uh, four or five programs on the station as well. Kevin, good afternoon. Well, hey, it's a pleasure as always, Ricky. Glad to see you today. Exactly. How have you been doing? I tell you, it's been a busy, busy week. This is um, this has been a busy week, and my daughter's wedding is coming up in three weeks, so time is meshing together. Exactly. Did you do anything for the Final Four last weekend? Yes, I worked, uh, <laughs> and I tweeted a lot, and I sent John Yates messages, who, um, as you know, was the chairman in here with us a couple mm-hmm. of weeks oh, ago. Oh, yeah, it was a great show. So John and I were talking back and forth. He was inside the stadium, and I was inside my home in Marietta. But, uh, <laughs> Sounds like you got the better end of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, jump in. Jump in if you come up with any questions or you think of stuff. Just Will do. I'm excited. Again, I'm excited about today's show on multiple levels. You know, our goal at Boost 61 is always to build a better community and to allow the rising tide to lift all the boats. And my guest today has been involved in that in Atlanta for quite some time. Mr. Jeff Newland is general manager of OutSystems. And OutSystems is a privately held global company that has almost, I think, 40,000 agile implementations under their belt for big companies, large and small, all across the world. Uh, Jeff was most recently the Senior Vice President, Global Sales and Chief Revenue Officer for Silver Pop, an Atlanta company run by someone I admire a great deal, uh, Bill Nussie. Jeff, welcome aboard. Thanks for coming to Booth 61. Hi, Ricky. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Tell me a little bit about OutSystems. I, I am not as familiar with you as uh, I have been some of the guests in the past, so I'm very interested in learning all about OutSystems I possibly can. Well, sure. Before I start, just uh, thank you for having me today, and a quick shout-out as well to John. John did a fabulous job he with really did. the Final Four. I mean, it was everything from the entertainment all the way through to um, how the, the games ran, how they worked. It was all fabulous, and it was nice to see good, positive media coverage around Atlanta for that as well. So OutSystems... Um, Interesting company. We, we're out to solve a couple of key problems that businesses face today. Businesses are going through constant change, and for businesses to innovate and adapt to that change, they need great applications. So they're always asking the IT organization for more and more, and the IT organizations have less and less resource, less, less budget. So there's a quandary between how they're going to be able to meet their changing needs to compete and differentiate at the business level when IT can't always answer the call and serve them well. OutSystems is a software company, and our products help IT organizations be more responsive to business and help them deliver great applications much faster than with the traditional approaches that they take. That time factor has been very frustrating from both management side and the technology side, and perhaps has given maybe a black eye to the technology department from time to time. Yeah, it, it has. And um, um, I've, been, um, I've been in the Atlanta tech community for, for many years, since the late 80s. And um, having a degree in computer information systems, computer science from Purdue. Purdue. You know, yeah, from Purdue. Yeah, we're, we're not a frequent visitor to the Final Four. So, but, uh, but that's a whole other story. But 
and I was, you know, I was trained in, 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 the, in how IT should work and how you should build systems. And I left school and I, I came to work for an Atlanta-based company back in 1989, a company called Knowledgeware that's not around anymore. But um, a lot of great people were there and, um, and um, still in the Atlanta community. The problem that Knowledgeware was trying to solve in 1989 and other companies was to help IT be more responsive to the business and to stop coding and to model and to build diagrams and to express how an application should work differently than just typing code. And uh, sadly, the state of most enterprise business today is still going back and building systems the exact same way, which hasn't solved the time issue. It hasn't solved the satisfaction issue, and more and more IT you know, gets a, a bit of a black eye to the business because they're unable to respond. Most people listening to the radio that are University of Georgia Bulldog fans will, of course, remember Knowledgeware as being the company founded by the great Georgia Bulldog and Minnesota Viking, Fran Tarkington. Yes, absolutely. It used to be uh, quite a thrill for me, you know, being uh, 20-something right out of college and uh, getting in the elevator every day over at Tower Place and heading up to the 11th floor um, and being on the elevator with Fran. And I was fortunate enough through my roles with the company that I got to interact with him quite a bit, um, both um, socially and professionally. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun. He was a tremendous athlete, no question about it. Unfortunately, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, so it was a bit of a challenge for me when I would uh, – I'd, I'd give him a few ribs about Drew Pearson and Stahlbach every now and then, but – well, that was always a tough one. Uh, Fran never came through on the Super Bowl win that he had anticipated or hoped for, but, uh, but be that as it may. I was born in Atlanta a long, long time ago, so I am tickled to death that y'all are here in Atlanta. Uh, you could have picked any number of countries, a lot of uh, com- cities yeah. across the country. A lot of people might have thought Austin or Silicon Valley or even Boston, but you're in Atlanta. Why are you here? Well, it's uh, it's been an, it was a bit of an interesting story as to why, and uh, so you know, OutSystems is a twelve uh, year old company. We were founded in two thousand and one, and um, we've um, been very successful and had some great growth. And uh, we're a European company, and our headquarters is actually in Lisbon, Portugal. And um, so, as we were building our presence throughout the world in North America, um, the uh, the the growth focus really looked to be shaping around North America. Uh, so the, the company, the board and the management team decided that a launch into North America was going to be extremely important for the long-term growth of the company, right? So we were already very successful, but we wanted to get to yet another level of, uh, within the business. We opened an office in, in Silicon Valley. We had an office just outside of uh, San Francisco in, uh, in San Ramon, California, over on the East Bay. And we were really running our operations in the U.S. more as a regional sales office. Okay. But to really penetrate North America, the decision was we, we need to have a presence. We need to operate as more of an independent company reacting to the specific needs and the opportunities within the North American marketplace and not have any – not that there are constraints, but to not have anything that's, that's um, outside of the region, you know, not, uh, um, not influencing what you're doing. So – the, the board and executive team went out for a search in late 2010 and 11 for a GM of North America. And they uh, met a lot of great candidates. I was fortunate enough to be involved in those discussions. And um, as the discussion was, well, about my relocation to Silicon Valley, um, as you might guess, I, I've been in Atlanta for 30 years almost and love it. I said, well, I think you really need to think about the East Coast as a, as a better location and specifically Atlanta. One, I live here. But more importantly, um, Atlanta is a great hub for business. Um, um, the ability to travel throughout the United States and Canada for our North American business from uh, 
uh, Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson is, is amazing. It's easy to do. Getting over to Europe for our corporate uh, headquarters meetings and so forth, very easy to do. And being three hours closer to our European headquarters mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. If I was in California, I'd be one business day offset from the other executives that um, I join on the management team. So the decision was it made a lot of sense for East Coast. And, um, and I said, well, you know, I'm in Atlanta, and Atlanta makes a lot of sense too. Um, I know you've had John Yates on the show and David Cumming and others. Um, there's a very vibrant, strong tech community in Atlanta, and the resources that we need to grow our business, everything from um, sales and, and um, uh, sales engineering and professional services, customer support, um, those, those, those key uh, resources we need to grow our business are, are very available within the Atlanta marketplace. You know, great schools here, great technology. So through those discussions, it made a lot of sense. So um, I joined and, uh, 18 months ago, and we started to launch OutSystems North America out of Atlanta. Well, we're glad you did. Um, I've been a cheerleader for Atlanta for 60 years now, and um, uh, everything you said, the, uh, the climate, the uh, airport, uh, Georgia Tech spits out some fantastic engineers, and, yep. of course, University of Georgia and Kennesaw State and others as well. Uh, but I think there's something in Atlanta that's kind of unique is, is almost an environment. Uh, people pull for you here. Uh, it's not as maybe dog-eat-dog as it is in some other places around the world. I think everybody here wants you to succeed and, and, uh, uh, and build a great business, and uh, I think that's kind of the infrastructure, whether it's the attorneys, uh, Yates and many other great attorneys, mm-hmm. or the accountants or staffing folks or whatever. Right. We seem to all pull together to try to make a better community, and I'm, I'm sure you've noticed that as well. It is, and um, um, both of my time here at uh, OutSystems, but in the you know, 10 years or so that I was at Silverpop, and we were building a great business in the Atlanta community. It, was, it is. It's um, all the things, once again, all the things that, you, that you've said. Um, and um, as, I, as we start to you know, uh, attract and, and grow talent, we want to you know, keep those great engineers and folks here in Atlanta. It's a great place to raise a family as well. So how many folks do you have now in the Atlanta headquarters? Well, we're growing. Um, we've got uh, over 20 in the Atlanta headquarters now. We're bumping up right at uh, 30 in North America. 18 months ago when I joined, I was the uh, sixth employee in North America. So we'd be doing a lot of hiring, a lot of growth. Um, that's commensurate with the success that we're seeing within our business here in North America. You know, as a, as a company, we're, um, we're over 200 people globally. And um, we mentioned a bit about our corporate headquarters, but we've got a, a strong presence in regional offices in other parts of the world. Um, we're just outside of Amsterdam for a Northern European office. We just opened an office in London uh, to really take advantage of the opportunities we see there in the U.K. Um, we've got a really strong business in Brazil, and we've got a growing business out of South Africa. So um, serving in those growth and communities around IT. So, so the company's been doing really well. We've been fortunate enough through our growth to have a lot of success. We have over 300 customers, and um, I'm really proud that in the U.S., um, you know, we started uh, when I when I joined, we had just around 20 customers in the U.S., and now we're just over 50. So we're seeing great receptivity to what we're doing, and um, you know, customers are are uh, uh, reson- uh, our message is resonating very well in the marketplace. It's pretty exciting growth in the shortest period of time as you've been established in the U.S. side of the water. Well, it is. I'm you know I'm fortunate to be re- uh, running a startup operation, right. if you will inside of a very successful, strong, financially solid company. You know, we were able to launch everything we're doing in North America um, with our own resources. We didn't take any outside funding. We didn't need any venture funding. Um, so we're, we're self-funded in, in this initiative, which gives us um, a lot of uh, control and gives us a lot of decision-making that you sometimes don't have um, when you go too far out into the venture community. So that's been great for us. Um, and um, But, you know, 
none of it really matters unless we have great customers who will tell your story for you mm -hmm. and unless you have a great product that backs itself up. It doesn't matter what we say in sales and marketing. doesn't matter what happens every day. If the customers aren't sticking with you after you close them and if they don't want to tell your story to prospective customers, then it really doesn't matter. And OutSystems had all those things. That was one of the things that attracted me to the company. Well, you have a great Atlanta pedigree from certainly uh, Silver Pop and, and even back to the early days from, from um, Fran's company. Are there any other noteworthy individuals that maybe have joined your team in the Atlanta that folks out listening today might, might know of? Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, as we continue to focus on North America as the key growth area, um, we had a really strong um, uh, presence for our international marketing out of our corporate headquarters in Europe. And uh, the decision was made that we wanted to get much more focused on our marketing out of North America. So we, we uh, recently embarked on a search for a VP of marketing, um, not just North American marketing, but global marketing um, in North America. And um, um, it was we were back to the talent base in Atlanta. We were flattered at the number of excellent candidates that we were able to talk to. Um, that were available, um, um, not necessarily on the market, but looking for an exciting company like OutSystems who could help us take our marketing, our company to the next level. And it was um, great, great resources within the Atlanta community. Um, through that, we found a, a, a gentleman named okay. and David um, has been in the Atlanta tech community for years. Sure has. Um, funny of all things, um, um, David was two levels up my, my boss at uh, KnowledgeWare way back in the day. <laughs> and um, so now we're working together as colleagues. And uh, David spent uh, many years in Atlanta. Most of that was with a company called Jakarta, which is another um, you know, successful uh, international company that put their U.S. headquarters um, in, in North American headquarters into Atlanta. So David joined us just a couple of weeks ago, and he's now just getting his, uh, getting his feet wet with what we do. And That's a tremendous hire, and uh, I had not heard that, but congratulations. David is a great guy. Um, give me the, the Peter Rabbit, if you will, for someone that's not a, a pure technologist. Right. What is the problem that OutSystem is really trying to solve when you get past the um, – um, the front-facing side of it to, to an ordinary person like myself. What, yeah. what, what are you yeah, sitting there yeah, talking yeah. to the CIOs about? Well, we, you know, we, um, I engage with a lot of, you know, a lot of CIOs and other IT leaders. And as I, as I kind of kicked off, I talked a bit about the problem we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's, it is a, it's, a, it's a big problem, um, but if you, you got to break it down a bit to understand um, truly how to, how to go about it. So if you go with this concept that businesses can't innovate without great applications, you've got to kind of accept that. And I think in the technology world we're today with, with all of our smartphones and tablets and the connectivity, uh, a knowledge worker today, someone in the business today, executing whatever a business process or workflow is going to be uh, across any business in any industry, they're not going to do that without technology. They're not going to do it without a computer screen. They're not going to do it without an application that sits on the other side of that computer screen, right? What has happened over the many years that IT has been developing and delivering applications to the business, those they build and those they buy, typically don't solve the core needs of that business community. And they might initially, right? You build the application, you roll it out. But what we're finding, we're talking to CIOs, their issue isn't how fast or how quickly they can implement an application, right? There is that, and that's a whole other topic we can talk about. But the problem is, is when that application is delivered to the business, it's, uh, it's not the, uh, the end of the application. It's the beginning of, or the beginning of the end, right? It's nothing but the, the, uh, the, the end of the beginning. That's when the life of it really takes off. You know, recent studies um, that you can see in the Gartner Group is one that we quote quite a bit. 
the average life of an application um, within an organization is now approaching 15, one five, 15 years. So when you build this application, deliver it to the business, and you think, well, they're not going to need it that long. How long is it going to operate? Well, it's going to operate long past those who built it and those who are going to own it over time. And, and the issue at the core that I, CIOs face with these at the application level is the change required for these applications to keep up with the pace of business change. IT works in, 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 it typically works in 6 to 12 to 18-month application development cycles. And I think if you're, you're a businessman, um, Ricky, so you know that businesses don't evolve or work in those types of time frames. They're working in monthly and quarterly cycles. And, and it was interesting the time I spent at Silverpop focused on the marketing part of, of a business. They long, long since stopped going to IT for the things they needed every day because their cycles were so different. Um, their, their cycle would be it's, it's reacting to a campaign the next day not the next month or the next quarter or the next year. So being able to build but that change these applications over time is really the heart of the problem. I would think that um, 15 years, I don't even understand what 15 years is. Uh, that's uh, a term well, we talk about 15 minutes, 15 weeks is, right. is a long time. 15 months is forever. But 15 years, the cost of just maintaining that uh, technology, that application, right. And then uh, the upgrades that need to be done and just keeping it alive right. has to be exorbitant. Yeah, it, it, and it is. And, and the, the, other, the, the other part to that is not only are they keeping it alive, but go back to the other. Most of the time, the business users on the other end of that application don't like it anyway. <laughs> so they're unhappy with it. They're asking for new features and new changes, and I need to get it off this screen. I need to get it onto a tablet. I can't have it as a Windows app. I need it in a browser. All those things are changing you know, from technology to business requirements. And so over that course of 15 years, the cost adds up. Um, again, from the Gartner Group, we like to follow those who really research and understand the industry. You know, with that 15 years, the Gartner Group also has found that the average cost – annually for an application is a little bit over four zero forty percent of the original cost to build it so you know you can you're a math guy you can do the math pretty quick if you build an application that costs you a million dollars to build and deploy and then you're spending four hundred thousand dollars a year according to gartner studies year over year you take that out to 15 years and i'd i'd, I'd like to be on the receiving end uh, not the spending end of that uh, of that cash flow so it's a big problem, and um, that whole maintenance cycle piece of it is one of the things that gets really overlooked because even when you are building and delivering, the focus is on the build, uh, not on, on living with the application over time. One question that I've never really liked is um, uh, what, you know, calling on anybody, CIOs or marketing folks or whatever, is what, is, what keeps you up at night? I've, I always tell people, if I ever hear you ask that question, I'm punching you in the face. Right, so, right, uh, right, right. I rather more question is what is keeping the CIOs and the IT organization from solving the problem? Not necessarily what's keeping up at night, but what is what is the core issue that keeps them from being able to move faster and and more effectively? You know, so much of what um, uh, and I and I uh, uh, really respect what the IT uh, leadership at companies has to do. They're juggling so many things. They've got reduced budgets, all these demands. Um, they've got demands um, um, from everything from 
making sure that, um, um, you know, in UPS, making sure their, their, their shipments are showing up on time and how they're handling all the data. Uh, you know, big data is an issue that they're faced with because they've got now with all these devices out there and all the data that's being collected, marketing wants to see it now. So they're wrestling with all of that. Um, they're struggling with um, this big move to the cloud that everybody talks about and what does that really mean for a business. So, so they've got all kinds of things coming at them. And um, what we're talking to them about is that the thing, the thing that should be keeping them up at night that probably isn't as much on their radar is the escalating cost of these applications and how they're running their business. And, um, and um, so we spend our time really not trying to figure out what's keeping them up at night, but I, I don't want to uh, be too, too um, uh, uh, headstrong and saying that, I can, that we can really teach IT a lot, but really trying to teach them where the real problem lies. And if they can start to solve that problem, they can start to free up budget and free up resources. You know, uh, you know studies will show that for a CI, you know, in an IT organization, um, somewhere between 60 and 80% of an IT budget is, is dedicated or based on maintaining the existing applications that are out there. And some of that's necessary. You're not ever going to remove all that budget. But a lot of it's keeping up with the backlog, we call it, of business requests. Backlog is all the things you don't like about the applications you need changed um, in order to achieve your business, um, your business needs, whatever those might be. And... Um, we start talking about if you can start reducing each application you build, its percentage within that maintenance bucket, you can start to free up both human resource and financial capital to direct at some of these other things that, are, that you've got to worry about um, within the business. So, so we're, we're taking that approach of, of, of you know, going out and reducing that cost to build an app. And then once you've built it, we drastically reduce the cost of change and manage it over those 15 years. I spent a lot of time uh, on your website and reading a white paper and uh, just trying to make sure that I had a good overall feel. But um, a tremendous amount of Gardner statistics that really were impressive as the cost. And uh, and I thought about that two and a half years after you implement, you're already – you know, you're already in the in the red, and then the next 13 years, you just add to the greater cost of just keeping the um, the application of live. Right. Um, have you got a financial picture as far as how big are these problems facing IT today, or what? How are they going to wrap their arms around it, and how you and uh, Out Systems can can be a key resource for that? Yeah, the um, um, it's the the percentage of of IT resources. De- you, you just think what the IT budget is within an organization, based on the type of company it is, it can vary quite a bit. But if you're even thinking that even on a best day, let's say that you're only spending forty fifty percent on maintaining these applications, um, they if you're not solving the problem. So if you say, well, I. I build an application and I deploy it, or I buy a packaged application, I customize it, and then I put it into our into our portfolio. Each time you do that, you're stacking on top of that that backlog and that cost that's already there, and and over time, you know, it, it's really removing all the headway that they have in the IT budget, which goes all the way back to that next big problem they have. And I'll come back to your cost piece on that. If IT is spending all their time trying to keep up, we call it keeping the lights on, right? Um, uh, KTLO, it's, uh, it almost sounds like a radio station. When you're just keeping the lights on, when, when you, Ricky, come to me in the business and say, hey, we have this awesome new opportunity in our, in, in our so-and-so division, and in that division, if we could implement an application to do this, this, and this, we could go out against our competitors in ways we don't today. Or worse, the business comes to IT and says, hey, 
our top two competitors just merged. And where we had competitive differentiation with each of them in the various parts we compete, we now don't have any competitive differentiation because they now have the combined resources of those companies coming at us. We have to react and respond. And the IT organization, back to feeling, feeling um, you know, empathy for where they are, they're like, where you get, you know, bring me some budget, I'll do that. Well, don't you have budget to do those things? Well, no, I'm spending all my money keeping up with the SAP application I implemented five years ago that cost me you know, $5 million a year to keep running. And, and that's why IT you know, doesn't respond, and that's why that kind of that black eye I talked about comes about. Then what does IT do? Well, I'm sure that division that needed that application to go up against that competition goes back to the, you know, uh, president of that division says, hey, I talked to IT and you know what, they really would like to help, but they just can't. So we're just going to have to make do in the market and let's hope our, you know, we compete and we win. That's not what business is going to say. They're going to go back and say, well, I'm going to find a way to do it some other way. And that's where the business starts to go around IT. We call it shadow IT. They go around IT and they find their own solution. Um, you know, you, uh, Jurassic Park's back in the uh, the new uh, the new 3D's out. I remember a line from that that Jeff that Jeff Goldblum has is remember he said life will find a way. Do you remember that life will find a way? Um, because if you just assume things are going to be what they are, they won't. Well, the business is going to find a way. And if you think about how business can find ways today, they can go buy a, a software as a service application. Uh, that's what marketing's done for years. They've gone out to a service community. That's why software as a service and within marketing was so proliferant. One of the most, the earliest and most adopted set of applications in SaaS came out of marketing because they knew business couldn't react fast enough. But now, you know, take any division, take an organization that's responsible for, you know, derivative sales in a financial industry. They're going to find a way to get the applications they need. And if they can't buy it through an open software as a service, they're going to go to a third party. You know, they're going to, they're going to call up somebody like your company, Ricky, and they're going to find out and say, hey, who could write this for me? Find me some engineers that can come into my business organization completely outside of any oversight of IT and build this application I need. And no, I don't care where they run it, and I don't care if it's – right? So business doesn't care. So then all this shadow IT happens. IT's thinking, well, business went away. They left me alone. I got to go back and work on my SAP uh, upgrade that I got to do. And then the next thing they find out is where they didn't have any budget to build this application the business needed, the application falls back in their lap when somebody finds out exactly what's happening, how that application is being used. I just presented at a, uh, at a conference in Chicago with about you know, a little over 100 folks in the audience, and I told this story about shadow IT. And I told, you know, the, the, and, um, and everyone's head's nodding, they're laughing because they get this every day. Because when an application that a business needs to innovate or differentiate takes hold and starts to get used, eventually somebody finds out about it, and eventually it falls back into governance and all the things IT needs to do. And um, uh, IT typically gets back a mess. So back to, back to not having any time, any resources, any budget for the stuff you know about. Now they're getting hit from all directions on the stuff they didn't even know about, and it's their responsibility to fix it. And that's how big the problem is, because the cost is not just the cost of IT keeping up. It's the cost of the opportunity that the business might not be able to realize because they don't get the apps they need fast enough. And if they do get the apps they need, the sheer cost of how they have to be incorporated back into the organization. Nine times out of ten, those applications are going to have to be completely written from the ground up, and business is going to have to suffer while they're being redone.
that goes into the compliance, it goes into governance, it goes into security, it goes into 17 other things. You got and it. then the technology department still has to do the keeping the lights on with the new application they had nothing to do with creating. Exactly. And that's, you know, once again, it's, it's uh, and that's why this, uh, th- this whole cycle that IT is in, um, when we talk to folks, that's the problem. You know, um, the problem isn't the features of my product that help you build an application faster. Our, our product helps our customers build applications really fast. Once you've built it, then you've got to keep up with it. And what our customers are finding is they now are the, the, the office of yes instead of the office of no when it comes to the business. Um, you know, a customer of ours, uh, one of them is Logitech. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the biggest issues that, that IT, it, it sounds kind of crazy, one of the original shadow IT problems that, came, that IT is now dealing with is something called Lotus Notes. <laughs> and uh, you, you've heard of Lotus Notes. A lot of companies use It's a great, fine product from IBM, but it's no longer really in vogue out there used. So m- many of the companies we talk to, one of the biggest issues they have is replacing Lotus Notes. And we say, well, how many Lotus Notes applications do you have? And so, well, we don't know. We don't know how many the business built. We're trying to figure it all out. And then once they start to figure it out, they're like, well, how are we going to rebuild these? And Microsoft's got some new technology that's been around, uh, not necessarily new, been around called SharePoint, and it's good for some of that. But a lot of these business units who IT couldn't help use Lotus Notes to build applications that's running core parts of the business. So when IT looks at that, they're like, uh, okay, I've got to replace these apps. How am I going to replace the apps? Well, they know they can't go out and code it in Java or in Microsoft um, you know, Visual Studio C Sharp. They can't code it because they know coding is a broken approach to doing anything fast. Um, and so they're looking at tools to be able to replace these. Logitech, thousands of these applications. And uh, we're in the process now. They're using our product, and they're replacing them one, two, five, ten, fifteen 15 at a time. And, and the business is not now getting you know, brand new. Um, fresh web, you know, two, three dot, whatever you want to call it, applications that run on a smartphone, run on a tablet, um, do all the things they want them to do that were in the backlog for the Lotus Notes enhancements. So, so our customers are finding that with this speed, they're getting these applications built and replaced. But then what they're finding, as soon as you deliver an application to the business, Logitech was telling us, well, that's not what I wanted. Well, I know what I told you, but that wasn't quite right. Now that I see it, this is really what I meant. In an out systems uh, customer, they just say, great, what would you like it to do? And they go in and they make those changes. And they make those changes in a way that they can keep up with over time. So you can get the change for the moment to help with the need for the innovation, but you also know that you're building something that's sound and solid and enterprise-grade for the future. Not thought of Lotus Notes in a while. Um, uh, it seems like to me, if I recall, Saeed Mohammedan. Here in Atlanta was absolutely instrumental, and eventually sold it to IBM. And he sure uh, did. So it came it came out out of Atlanta. This is a little bit of an aside, but I would think, having listened to all this, that maybe this has something to do with why more and more CIOs are now reporting to the CFO instead of the CEO. Well, I'll, I'll reserve my my comments on that reporting structure. Um, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to be in that reporting structure. No offense to the CFOs out there. Um, yeah, um, and. Um, so you're basically being – Quagmire. Well, you know, and um, CFO's role in a company is extremely important, and, and many CFOs are involved in helping the company grow and innovate and do those things. But typically, the, the, the CFO is there to, to watch the bottom line. Um, they would definitely want the top line, 
But when you're when you fall under the CFO from the CIO's perspective, you're probably falling toward that bottom line, not quite toward that top line. So you're getting relegated to the cost side of the business, and that's probably the you know, last place you want to be. Where IT really wants to be out on the leading edge, they want to be standing there alongside the chief revenue officer, alongside the divisional president, alongside the CEO, saying, "Here's how we're taking the company forward." And there are some, and once again, there are a lot of companies where that that does happen. But, um, you know, if you think about the long-term relevance of IT, and you, you, you can Google this, and there's a lot of stories and blogs and studies on it, but, but um, uh, studies saying that by 2015, 2017, um, IT is how necessary is it going to be within an organization? That sounds kind of crazy. But if you think about what does IT do, well, they run all the networks in the data center. Well, there isn't a data center anymore. It's on the cloud now. Okay, so I don't have all the pipes to worry about anymore. So then what do I worry about? Well, um, well, we keep track of all the applications the business runs. Well, they buy all their applications now, last I heard. Um, so what do you end up doing, you know? And um, it's almost like you, you become the steward of the cleanup crew, you know, shut the lights out as you walk out of the data center door. Now, that's a pretty dark, stark, dark picture of IT relevance within a business. Um, but the business is going to keep doing what it needs to do. Right, stock market is still going to keep hitting record highs. Companies are still going to be, you know, growing. They're still going to be looking to be profitable, and um, they're going to get it done. And um, IT should be much more of a part of how that happens, as opposed to what we see a lot is uh, an inhibitor to how it gets done. I've heard my dear friend Becky Blaylock, former CIO of Southern Company, joke around and says that when she finally became CIO, she realized the acronym stood for career is over. <laughs> You're painting a deeper, a darker picture of that. Maybe perhaps it is. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, you can paint a lot of different scenarios of different markets, but when, when, you, when, when you look back to 20, you know, 24 years ago, 25 years ago when I got into the business, this was the problem, and it's still the problem. And I don't want to say it's the definition of insanity, but what I saw in, in, in the 80s and how IT companies were approaching solving this problem of building great apps for the business to innovate, um, it's now so many years later, and I go back out and talk to companies, and what are they doing? It's not COBOL anymore, but now it's Java. Um, or it's whatever was the latest cool new technology that came out of Silicon Valley. So where it used to be, you'd have to keep up with one or two programming languages within an organization. It's the du jour now on how people are building things. And then think about that shadow IT again. You have no idea how it's being built by the third parties that are serving the business in, no your, right, in your absence, right? So, so it can be a pretty stark picture um, if they don't uh, really start to focus on how they can, how they can help that business innovate. You mentioned a few minutes ago the conference you were just recently uh, speaking. I think it was called Computer World Premier 100. Yes. And um, you were in a small, intimate group of real leaders of the industry. What surprised you the most about what they had to say in these roundtable discussions? It was, um, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was refreshing in some regard is how open they were at, at talking about the challenges facing their business you know, with us. Um, and also with their peers. And that was one of the great things we liked about that Premier 100 conference. What was surprising about what they talked about was a bit of the acceptance of the status quo, right? So if I approach you and I tell you you've got this problem of building applications that can get done fast and sustain over time, how are you going to solve that problem for the business? And, you know, a lot of it's like, well, it's, it's not really a problem you can solve. You, you do your best. You keep up. I got this KTLO I got to deal with. I got my 80% of, you know, maintenance I got to do. I got a little backlog I have to keep up with. I just can't keep up with the demands of business. And, and um, 
then you, you approach it. So I, I thought that was an interesting that they, in a lot of ways, accepted it. Mm-hmm. And, and then they accepted, so, well, you know, business will just have to go what they have, do what they have to do. So there's that acceptance of that, just go get it done some other way. It, and I don't want to be uh, condescending with it, so it's not my problem. But they were like, I don't know how to deal with the problem. So that was, that was a bit surprising. Um, the other I thought was an interesting it was the, the perspective that the reason the business asks for all this crazy stuff is because they don't know what they want, right? Because they're, they ask for this today and that tomorrow, and like you told me to write this yesterday, and now you want me to implement something different tomorrow. It comes back to that concept of change. And I think it's the, uh, a bit of the realization for some of the folks in IT is that the business doesn't necessarily want to change, they, they're, they're not um, uh, flippant and frivolous about their request to IT, especially when it's a business executive needing something to do their job to, um, to grow the top line, to increase profitability, to, to increase the value on Wall Street of the company. That's what they're there to do. But they don't know what to deal with. You get, um, you get changes in regulations. There's just one or two regulations coming out of Washington these days. Um, and whatever side of the, of the political spectrum you fall to, it doesn't matter. You still got to go deal with these regulations. Do you think the business wants to deal with the regulations? Can you imagine the number of software changes required by the Affordable Care Act? Can you imagine from everything from insurance companies to companies like OutSystems to companies that are, that are um, service providers um, to, to payers to everybody, the changes to their app? The, can you imagine the cost of implementing that, let alone the time to get it done? And that's why... And that's why the ability for IT to say, you know, well, I can handle that. I can take that on. Now, even without systems, I mean, that, that, that didn't happen overnight, right? So when we talked to companies and we just had a conversation um, with um, one of our European customers, the uh, CEO of the company, not the CIO, and the conversation was, how am I going to keep up with this issue with change and innovation? And, and we, through our discussions, we said, well, it's, it, one, it's not easy, and it's not all about our technology, but you accept a new, a new way to do business and a new way to approach it. And to that white paper that you were referencing, we talk about the IT mess. The idea is that, that the way you approach applications in a business, you can transform that over one, two, three years. And each step of the way, it gets better, and it gets better, and this – 80% gets smaller and smaller. And then by the time you get to that third year, you can look back and say, we now have transformed, not IT, we've transformed how IT serves the business. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, if the only thing that's happening is IT is writing better apps and IT feels better about it, it really doesn't matter. If the business isn't moving forward and the business isn't seeing that CIO embracing what the business needs to accomplish, it really doesn't matter. I agree. Um, in the conversations you had with those folks out there and, and in the roundtables, what surprised them the most about what you had to say? And I guess it's a lot of what you just have alluded to, but what else, any other takeaways you walked away with? Um, you, you know, it was, um, it was uh, I was surprised. I shouldn't be because I'm supposed to do this for a living, right? I was surprised at how receptive they were to this message and um, the, them you know, telling me. And we had, uh, I think we had 16, 16 representatives from, from you know, every, um, these premier 100 companies. And these are, these are highly recognizable, you know, you know Fortune 1000 names. And, and of those 18, we're following up with five of them actively right now. 
Um, they want to learn more. Now, those aren't all going to become customers, and that's not going to happen, but there really was, they're like, you, we really can solve this? I'm like, yeah, you can. And, um, and we can do it in a way that isn't worse than the situation we're in now? Yeah, there is a way to do it, and it's not worse. So it was surprising to me. Um, I don't want to use cliches, but kind of just the, 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 the thirst for a different way to approach the problem. And that's what we talk about, a different way to approach the problem. Um, the other thing I found that was interesting was the, the other topic was uh, on a couple of the folks in the room, their perspective is that, Jeff, you got it all wrong. We're serving the business really well. I'm like, okay. And I, I said, well, if the business rated you on your delivery to them, what would they rate you on a scale of one to five? And he's like, you know, some days we're only a three, but we're approaching a four most of the time. We're doing a good job. And I said, okay, and how do you rate that? Well, we deliver applications for the business. We ask them how we're doing. We see if they're happy. And they tell us they're happy. I'm like, that's great. What about the applications you didn't do? I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, you said no to some of the applications, right? So if you, rate, if you ask them to rate you, on your overall ability for them to achieve their business mission, how would they rate you? Much different question. He was, yeah, the, the, he um, was studying the laces on his shoes <laughs> and contemplating. This was CIO of a, of a healthcare company, and he said um, they wouldn't rate us very highly because we can't keep up with all of the things they need to do. Mm -hmm. well, you're a privately held company, so I'm not going to dig too deep or push too hard, but. Uh, Talk about some of the clients that you have and, and maybe what OutSystem is doing to enable their IT organizations to become drivers of business innovation. And you can mention the names or the yeah, type yeah. of business they're in. Uh, you I know, I mentioned a few of them. We've had, um, you know, um, uh, the applications vary. Um, you know, our customers are in 20-plus industries, um, and so the things they need to vary. Um, you know, a couple of the key ones that we're really um, have been doing a lot of work with uh, over the last year, uh, the U.S. Army is one. And um, uh, the U.S. Army is, you know, going through, um, as, as is a lot of the, the, the federal government, is they've got this application issue um, to a degree that you would, it would, it would, it would uh, worry, worry your pocketbook uh, when the taxes go in. Um, because most of the IT that's done within the federal government is not done by employees of the government agencies. They're done by um, well-meaning and great folks who are contractors who have been awarded bids on projects to go do IT work. And um, one of the challenges they're running into is, is th those companies make money when they, they um, have resources on projects. So their, their motivation is to continue to, to bill for those projects. And, and so they do a lot of things just by hand, writing code by hand that we see. So within the Army, they had a whole series of Lotus Notes applications and Cold Fusion applications and other tech they had to replace. And they were looking at months to years of manual recoding of these applications, an approach that wouldn't be the OutSystems approach. And, and, and um, a, 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 a kind of a maverick uh, architect, if there is such a thing, um, within the, the uh, civilian side in the Army said, there's got to be a better way. He found us. He drug us into, you know, a small commercial-focused company into doing work with the federal government. It's a pretty scary thing. But we've seen great success. And we've, um, we've either built or um, – because we also have a services part of our organization that helps kickstart and helps do projects for our customers. So we've, we've been doing that with the Army. And we've done um, over six, um, uh, six active applications um, that we have underway right now. We've wrapped up four applications. Just as an example of this cost that you referred to earlier, one of these applications – that was built costs uh, well over $4 million to build. It took over two years to build, and it had out outlived its lifetime, and it needed to be replaced. So we came in to replace it. We replaced um, that application 
replaced part of another application that it was dependent upon and did all of it in, in less than 20 weeks. And for about an eighth of the cost of the initial build of that project. The year-over-year -year maintenance of that application is now 75% um, less than what the cost would have been using the traditional approach. Now, so there's real money um, that, that can be saved by companies, and um, you know, and there's there's lots of challenges in, in how you succeed in the federal government, but that's one. On the commercial side, a customer that we've really done a lot of work with, where innovation comes in, is uh, Charles River Labs, who you, you may or may not be familiar with. They're a multi-billion dollar. They're a service organization that um, does a lot of the um, uh, experimentation laboratory outsourcing for the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. They've got a very forward-thinking CIO, uh, Arthur Hubs. And Arthur's, when I was speaking with him, his approach is like, Jeff, I buy every application I can buy. If I can buy it and I don't have to build it and someone else has already invested in the equity to get that application built, I'm going to buy it. But there are applications within my business, Jeff, that I can't buy. And when the business told me to, they needed one, I said, well, we're going to need to build that. And they started running screaming because every time IT goes to build it, they know it's 18 months of requirements. It's another 18 months before I get my application. I don't have a three-year business cycle, the business person says. And, um, and Art says, we're going to find a different way to do it. And through um, uh, uh, evaluations and research, they, they found us. And um, we're now um, doing our second large application alongside their IT organization. And we're delivering applications to the business. If you remember... If you remember the, the example I had of the business issue with two competitors merging and causing you problems, that was Charles Rivers' issue. Oh. They had two of their top competitors merged, and they, were, they then had a solution that was ahead of one of the solutions that Charles Rivers Labs had, had done. And it was an older application that needed to be retired. And um, they're now in the process of working with us in, in six to nine months of delivering a brand-new version of that application, retiring the old application, and allowing them to have capabilities so their salespeople, right, and their marketing teams can compete and win where they were, you know, right now they're a bit behind because of the force of this new competition. So, um, you know, these issues are real, and um, CIOs face them, and um, they're finding that when it comes to rapidly building an app, but building one that they need to last, um, you know, our customers are finding out systems is a very good choice for that. That's exciting. I am um as a non-technologist, I've learned a great deal so far, and I appreciate you sharing with me. I want to maybe ask one or two small follow-up questions, sure. and then we'll call it an afternoon. Uh, I'm in the IT staffing business, as you well know. Georgia has a number of colleges and universities educating the IT workforce for tomorrow. I've probably got my own take on this, but I want to know kind of how are – how do you see that the people that are graduating today are in computer sciences are going to be that much different than they were a decade ago or even project out five years from now? Well, you know, it's, um, um, you know they're growing up in a completely different world. Um, they're coming in already knowing um, uh, all about mobility. They're knowing what's, it's, it's, you know, what's necessary. Uh, I, I actually think one of the challenges they're going to find coming out into industry is that it's going to feel like the dark ages to them, Right. Um, you know, you come out of a top university and you're, you've been trained to be a, uh, uh, in a programming sense, right? Uh, you know, a Java programmer or a, a, a Microsoft.NET C-sharp programmer. If that's your discipline, that's who we interact with a lot. Um, and you're going to go in and take a, a job with a great company. And what you're going to find is, you know, you're working on that maintenance project. You know, you're the lowest, you know, rung on that ladder. And um, it's probably going to be a bit disappointing. You're not going to be able to use all those new skills and do all the things you learned and what you'd like to do. I, I think... 
to where where I see a lot of the trend for for someone if if I was I've got a I've got a 16 year old who's who is uh, looking at college starting to look at college and and what should I do dad and um, it, one of the things I've talked about is is you need to really be focused on on what businesses need to succeed and it, even if you want a technology degree you know, be focused on how that technology degree um, is going to be used so that a business can move forward um, we're beyond where you know I just want to go build a cool app. And, you know, I want to build the next mobile app or this. There's always a need for that, and there's a great startup community around that. Um, but when you go back to what an enterprise is going to need, um, you're going to need to know how to engage with the business. And that's what I was – I was didn't even know it at the time. But uh, coming out of Purdue, even way back when, the degree I had was half business, half IT. And I was a programmer by trade, but I knew how to talk to the business. And that's so essential for the folks coming out of school. Um, and even, you know, we say with the OutSystems products and so forth, there's still going to be that need. There are things within an enterprise that you've got to go down. You've got to code traditional ways with traditional tools and techniques. So I'm not by any means saying that we're going to replace every application or every programmer out there. That's not our goal. Um, but those applications that are very close to what the business needs is where, you know, you would see our products. I want to encourage your son to get into IT because we need him. Um, Isn't it amazing? A, um, unemployment may be 7 or 8% today, but we, uh, there's no question in our minds from what we do for a living. It's more, it, in technology, it's closer to 2, 2.5%. And if you look at Java, .NET, anything in the mobile space, yeah. it's a negative number. There are more jobs open today for these individuals, and there are human beings to put in it. And it's frustrating as we deal with CIOs, just as you do, uh, they keep wondering, you begged for the business, we gave you the business, now where are the people? Well, we don't manufacture our product. We encourage everyone to, you know, maybe uh, produce more product for us and get them in school, and uh, in 20 years from now we'll have some more opportunities. But right now it is a tight market. I'm sure you've probably seen that in, in, in your walk as well. You know, yeah, it is. It's, um, I, uh, um, uh, I came out of university into a recession, right, right at the end of the 80s as it was starting to – the economy stupid, right? So, so that's when I came out of school, and uh, my friends who had communications degrees and business degrees and non IT degrees, you know, they were looking for jobs, you know, well into you know from eighty nine into ninety, and they didn't find great jobs. Out of my class at Purdue, about hundred folks, you know, we had a hundred percent placement. We had folks, you know, we had disappointed employers who couldn't get enough of us coming out of school. And that's why I think um, that technology degree is still really important. And if you want to go work for a startup and go invent the you know the next cool. Um, app, um, you know, all to a technology you know, student coming out of school wants to do that. Um, but those, not everybody can write the next Facebook. Not everybody can be work for the next Google. Um, and so uh, the industry still needs well-trained folks. So, and that's the piece that, uh, you know, if, in, you've got to keep focused on is, is if I'm going to go out into industry and I'm going to go work for a Home Depot or a UPS, I'm going to be in their IT organization, um, what am I going to want to be focused on and which what I would encourage a student to be focused on is talk about how you want to help IT better enable the business to succeed. Jeff, let me uh, move a little bit over into um, kind of your company culture and a little bit about um, uh, OutSystems. I understand that, uh, that you really have an intriguing company culture and it's based on your CEO's philosophy that less is more. And you actually, uh, I guess he created a book called The Small Book of a Few Big Rules. Tell me a little bit about that and kind of how that fits into the company culture at OutSystems. Yeah, it's, uh, um, uh, I work for, um, uh, I've been fortunate to work for a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, really great folks and two great CEOs back-to-back with uh, Bill Silverpop and, and now Paulo at OutSystems. And, 
And, and, I, and I really like Apollo is when I started working, he's like, he's Jeff, all you have to, you just got to focus on, you know, certain things. And, and as he's encouraging me and the other executives, he goes, it's, it, it's not, you don't have, don't try to make it too hard. There's really, and he started talking about, there's seven things that really got to focus on seven things you got to focus on. And, and we start talking about that and we, we put them into practice and it's became, and we, we finally said, you should write this down. This is kind of interesting. And, um, and, um, uh, we took the we took the time to write it down, and we refined it a bit. And and last summer, as he wrote it down, he wrote it down in just a PowerPoint deck and presented it to the whole company at a at a, at a midsummer uh, event at our corporate headquarters. And coming out of that, we said um, we need to take that a little bit further. And it's really simple. There's seven things. It's and the biggest one that um, is the whole philosophy in the company is to ask why. And if you don't ask why, you don't understand the context of how you're contributing to the company's success every day. And so the simple thing about ask why. So, and he actually tests. He'll, he'll walk around the organization. He'll walk into our, our engineering department because we build our products. He'll walk into the engineering department and say, what are you working on? And the, the young programmer will say, well, I'm, I'm working on the, the, this and that widget that's going to go into the next release of the product. He said, why are you doing that? And, 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 and it, it happens once and uses, well, it's because it was assigned to me by my manager, right? So that whole philosophy of, of understanding the context and what the business is trying to achieve really pervades, um, you know, what we're doing. And, it's, and it's, uh, it creates a healthy culture. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes for, for the managers to, to not say, because I told you to. Um, it really helps the managers engage. Say, well, this is why you're doing it. And everybody has that context. And it goes all the way through being proactive and focus on, focus on the 20% that gives you the 80% of the return, um, be helpful. Um, and, um, and really, at the end of the day, the whole goal of that is to have very happy, motivated people within the company. Um, we have very little attrition within the company. Um, we're we're um, uh, very you know, sticklers at hiring. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard to get in and get a job. Um, and, um, you know, we're proud of that because the folks that we do have come in, um, you know, adapt and love that culture that we carry forward. Sounds like a great company culture and a place that um, would be very comfortable to find a home if you were looking in this area. Now, Jeff, it's been a fantastic hour, 50 minutes, I guess. I wish yeah. we'd have had 50 more minutes because you've uh, – I will not have to have dinner tonight because I've had enough meat this afternoon <laughs> to fill me up. Um, I feel like I could uh, start a new career. But uh, anyway, in closing, if uh, there's a CIO or technologist out in the uh, listening to us today, how would they best get in touch with you or someone at the company if they wanted to pursue uh, going to work for you or, or perhaps uh, even taking a closer look at your uh, services and, and you know, products? Well, yeah, thank, well, I, thank you, Ricky. I'm, I'm glad I filled your belly. Um, uh, the uh, – uh, best way, as always, is to visit us at uh, outsystems.com, O-U-T-systems.com. Um, you, you, can all, you can phone us up if you want to go old school uh, here in Atlanta. And uh, you know, phone number in Atlanta is uh, 404-719-5100. Uh, and um, so just give us a call um, or hit the website, and we'll get back with you right away and uh, tell you more about um, what we do, but more so understand how you can solve these problems. This has been a great show, and uh, I've learned a lot, and I've had a lot of fun, and I want to thank Jeff from OutSystems for joining us in Booth 61 today. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Ricky. It's been great fun. I, um, this is Ricky Steele. I finished with my coffee in Booth 61, and I hope you'll come back and join me for a fresh cup next Wednesday, or you can listen to any of our past shows at Booth 61 with Ricky Steele. I always close trying to share a blessing for you, your family, and your business, and the blessing comes from the Book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for dropping by. Join us next week for a fresh cup in Booth 61.